The following is a Poppy Chulo Radio original program. The views and opinions expressed in the commentaries and or interviews in the following program are solely those of the individuals and are not views of Poppy Chulo Radio, its parent, affiliate, or subsidiary companies. Time Masters, a PoppyChuloRadio.com original series, PoppyChulo Radio, pop culture on demand. Today is Thursday, January 27th, 2022, and I'm your host, Jeffrey Aruz. During this podcast, we'll be having an in-depth discussion on the CW's DC's Legends of Tomorrow. Please welcome my co-hosts, Professor X. Hello, everyone. And Millie Wood. Hello, listeners. Let's jump into our discussion of Season 7, Episode 10, which was titled... The Fixed Point, and aired January 26th, 2022. Here's the official synopsis of the episode. The Legends are tired of being chased by an evil AI and her robo-soldiers, so Sarah decides to create an aberration that will allow the team to take back the evil Wave Rider. However, the Legends find themselves in a bar for time travelers and quickly learn that this fixed point, in air quotes, is popular with time travelers, leaving Sarah questioning her odds at winning. With Bayrod and Astra growing closer, Zari and Spooner are forced to awkwardly interact with each other as the rest of the legends are paired up on the mission. Meanwhile, Ava hears Gwent's plan to save his boyfriend. And Ava is forced to remind him of the consequences if he succeeds. Alright, this was a jam-packed episode with a lot of stuff. Some things were very surprising, very fascinating conversations. Uh, the Legends kind of got real in this episode, and this wasn't even the reality-based, uh, or the reality TV show, I should say, based episode. But before we get into all of that, let's start off with, um, you know, the start of the episode that really sets up the plan. And a lot of it has to deal with uh, Nate and his drawing skills. Uh, Professor, what'd you think of the opening, how they handled it? We never really got to see the drawing until the end once, you know, it's been scribbled on with, you know, um, you know, uh, you know, what Sarah was writing to sort of show the actions and that sort of thing. But we got a lot of uh, what they interpreted the drawing to be, and that was practically perfect in every way, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, and and the decision to not show it until it had been so obscured by Gary and uh, and Sarah, you know, using the red markers on it so that you couldn't actually see what the original drawing looked like was exactly the right call because nothing they could have shown would have been funnier than whatever you were creating in your head. And Nate's reactions to, you know, their comments on his drawing, it was just great. It was, you know, and, and really the, the humor of that scene, you know, we talk about this show as being, you know, uh, you know, crazy special effects and all that. This was a scene which was just basically a static camera shot of four actors reacting to something that we can't see and it was delightful and it was funny because it's based on character it was the character of you know nate you know being a little defensive about his drawing skills but he's the guy who knows this stuff and the other two who are oh yeah i see what you try to do there they're basically talking to a three-year-old oh yes what a lovely flower that's the sun it was just it was no perfect but it's because the humor comes out of the characters, characters that we've come to know and love. So when we get a scene like this, it makes it makes sense. It means something. And that's where the humor comes from. 100%. You just let the actors do their thing. And props to the director, a Legends veteran, Maisie Richardson Sellers, for allowing her actors to do the damn thing. Because, man, did they sell it. 100%. So... Uh, a quick little note, we got the Legends, uh, the normal theme song for the season, 
this time around with the normal opening credits, it feels like it's been ages since we've seen it. And I will say I missed it. It's so quirky. It's so period-centric. It's fantastic. And uh, because we've been getting some interesting episodes for the past, you know, the past couple episodes, and then we had the hiatus, uh, it feels like it's been a thousand years since we've uh, seen it. Um, And I found it incredibly enjoyable now that it returned. Uh, Millie, let me talk to you about the fixed point. Because we get a whole bunch of time travel... Uh, we basically get Time Travel 101, at least with the fixed point, at the start of the episode. Uh, what did you think of the exposition dump? And uh, did you were you able to follow along with it? Because it was a lot. It was a lot, but I feel like it was done well, considering how much information had to be given. But I, I feel like we have had somewhat familiarity with the idea of maybe not necessarily fixed points, but like certain points in time. And um, I do like the whole atmosphere um, at the bar that they were given about the fixed point. Uh, so I think it was well done considering the inf- info dump that was given. Yes. The professor is uh, an expert with timey-wimey stuff. Uh, I read online that the fixed point is a concept that has been used before. Uh, what do you think of the legend's interpretation of it? You know, it, it makes sense. You know, I said last week that if you were going to go back to, you know, the the point in time where you could have the most impact with the least, uh, you know, energetic, uh, you know, uh, exertion on your part, it would be stopping Gabriel Princep on that day because you know he set in motion, you know, something that changed the entire twentieth century. It's not just World War One; it's everything that came out of World War One. Uh, you know, there's a, a famous book by. Um, uh, Barbara Tuckman, uh, in which she talks about the fact that, you know, prior to World War One, you know, there was a funeral at which all the heads of state were kings. And after World War One, none of the heads of state except England, basically, were kings. Uh, you know, there was this absolute literal revolution in the world as a result of that. It led to the rise of the Soviet Union. It led to ultimately to World War Two, to the Cold War. You know, everything springs from, you know, uh, the start of World War One. Um, and unlike World War Two, World War One did seem to be more of a conditional thing where, you know, World War Two was going to happen eventually. You, you didn't need a Hitler in order for there to be a World War Two. But World War One does seem one of those flashpoint moments. So I, I really did like the idea. And I also like the idea that, you know, if you did have this sort of moment in time that everyone recognizes is really important. Well, yeah, obviously all the time travelers are going to go back there, whether just to view it or whether to try to change it. And someone is going to set up a bar to take advantage of that. I love the idea. It's, it's, it's just so crazy and off the wall. But, you know, one of the, the arguments against, you know, the, the reality of time travel is the argument that, you know, well, if there was time travel, we would have noticed it because, you know, you would have, you know, you, you would have the people who, you know, you know at the, the, the crucifixion of Christ is the famous example. You would have seen thousands of people standing around filming the whole thing um, uh, or, you know, all the people who would have been there, you know, uh, you know, people, you know, the 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 film cameras of. Uh, uh, of uh, of JFK would also show all the people with video cameras and their phones recording it as well. And so, you know, the fact that we don't have any evidence of, of time travel is, you know, considered to be the proof that time travel is impossible. But that said, if it was possible in some way, this is absolutely, that is the moment when people would go to and, and time travelers wanting to change the future. Now, why are they doing that? I mean, the legends are doing it for their very specific reason. Everyone else seems to be doing it just because, Wow, this is the hardest thing to do. Let's do it. It's 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 almost, you know, the less controversial version of let's go back and kill Hitler because it allows you to have that absolutely, you know, history changing moment without evoking Hitler. And so I think that's kind of the reason they did that. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, you made a lot of really great points, professor, about the the fixed point. And uh something that I want to sort of follow up with you is uh, Gideon. You love Gideon. You have been enjoying Amy Louise Pemberton as human Gideon this season. And Gideon got an interesting storyline this episode. As the sort of the as the synopsis sort of said, uh, the legends are pretty much paired up uh, throughout the majority of the episode. Uh, there are sequences in, in which they're all together, and, and technically they are all together at that bar, but they do, you know, go off in their pairs, and we have Gideon and Gary together, and Gideon really is flummoxed at the idea that she 
had no idea what the fixed point was. She had no idea about this bar. She has all these questions about time. Initially, it looked like time was thwarting people from, uh, you know, stopping the start of World War One. So Gideon, this was an interesting storyline for Gideon. What did you think of Gideon throughout this entire episode, Professor? Oh, tremendous. And, you know, you mentioned the idea that, that Gary seemed taken aback. I think it was Gideon who was more taken aback because she assumes she's basically omniscient. She knows everything that has happened in the past and for a past that extends into the future. So she is effectively omniscient. So to find out there's something she didn't know about and also not just the existence of the fixed point, but the idea of time pushing back is something that she had no idea about. And I think, you know, uh, Amy played that really well. Uh, she also managed to, you know, just when she or, you know, simple, sets down at the bar and, and does, you know, it's the standard joke, you know, two bottles of stout and what will you have? That's the, the beginning joke. But then Amy sells it by the fact that she managed to find an utterly alien way to drink a bottle of beer. It was like she had never drunk from a bottle in her life before, which, of course, is probably the case for Gideon. Um, just really, really funny throughout the episode. And, and again, not given a lot of dialogue to be funny with, but managing to be very funny. And later in the episode um, uh, where uh, she and Gwyn are telling uh, Sarah, you know, about, you know, you have this little device that'll help you. And, and Sarah makes the stand jokes oh no pressure then and she immediately goes oh no tremendous pressure and goes oh yes a tremendous amount of pressure yes this is very important just really i mean so so funny but you know also bring in that element of you know uh gideon you know for one of the first times you know really sort of challenging her assumptions about how much she knows and and how smart she is compared to everything there is to know which is you know kind of an interesting step on the idea that you know part of this this season has been about Gideon becoming more human and you know if you're going to be human part of it is realizing that you don't know everything that is true and uh, let's talk about that pickleback can i get it in large although i know what a pickleback is and i don't know if i would want a large one um yeah I mean, a whole bunch of pickle brine. Although pickles are delicious, but anyway. Well, what is a pickleback? Well, fill us in. A pickleback is um, you're supposed to take, uh, you're supposed to drink the liquor first, and then you have like a shot of pickle brine afterwards. So it's like a pickle chaser. Pickle brine chaser, basically. The chaser's done afterwards, right? I don't know much about liquor. I'm apparently not I thought it was that Canadian band from British Columbia that no one likes. Okay, no, that's the Nickelback. Um, oh. A little less than the Pickleback. Yeah. Uh, Millie, do you know about the Pickleback? I don't. I, and I also don't like pickles. They're probably. Like <laughs> okay. Really? Not even a dill pickle? No, no. Yeah, no. That, all that just sounded gross. <laughs> you just <laughs> Okay. All right. Well, no Pickleback for you. Okay, well, moving right along then. Well, Professor, we found one food thing, food-related thing that Millie Wood does not like. Okay, well, he isn't that impressed. I'm impressed. Um, okay, well, moving right along. Let's talk about Spooner. Because we have the fascinating pairing of Zari and Spooner in this episode. And I've got to say, it really wasn't until this episode that I realized that Zari and Spooner have never been paired up together. And that is true. And it's factual. And, and it's, it's a thousand percent true. Because their initial pairing was hella awkward. As it should have been. You like makeup. And you like um, guns. Yeah. Oh, we like talking shit about people. Like, I mean, they found different ways to bond. But then, you know, they actually did connect, and they found themselves enjoying each other so much on the mission. And it led to a game that many know, Mary Fuck Kill. And uh, as they were going through that... Spooner was pretty much like when she started naming off the guys, you know, I don't really see them in that way. Naming off the girls, I don't really see them in that way. And we are treated to a moment that I don't think either of us were expecting, but it is Spooner coming out as asexual. And uh, we have Zari... As someone who knows the term, understands the term, explains it, 
Um, very much a teachable moment, but it, I don't think it felt uh, that, you know, it didn't feel um, like, like, I guess, other teachable moments that feel very preachy and that sort of thing. It just, it seemed sort of matter of fact, and, and we kind of move on from it. It was not treated like a big moment. Like we, we saw sort of over on Supergirl many seasons ago when it existed, uh, you know, there was that big coming out episode for uh, our girl, Alex Danvers. She had a big moment. It was like her big coming out episode. And this was, in essence, Spooner's coming out. But it was a tiny little moment. And, and maybe we've just evolved in the year 2022 when, you know, it's just tiny moments like this. But I've got to give props to them for how it was handled. I did find an interesting thread on Twitter that I'm just, that I'm going to read because I, I just I, I when you think about it in the way that this Twitter person explained it I'm like damn like they were saying some interesting stuff so so this is the thread for those keeping count Legends of Tomorrow a network TV show now has half the lead characters confirmed as queer we have a lesbian a bi man a bi woman a gay man, and now an asexual woman of color. This show has 10 leads who all get their fair share of screen time, and now half of those are canonically queer. And the coming out episode was directed by a queer woman of color who also played a queer character during her time on the show. This show is unlike anything on TV right now. It's a superhero dramedy, which leans into the absurd. It hasn't permanently killed a single character since season three, and it is in its seventh season right now. The coming out scene in tonight's episode wasn't advertised or even mentioned as something that was coming. It wasn't used to get attention or to get headlines. It was just a sweet, organic moment, which was even more special. Which, um, props to, who is this, Dame to Kill For on Twitter for, for this thread. I mean, they, go, they sort of go on and on a little bit more. But it was something that I never really thought of. And uh, I also read this other comment um, after this episode aired on Twitter that was like, why isn't Legends winning GLAAD awards? Why isn't it being nominated? Especially as this Twitter thread said, you know, half of the characters are canonically queer. I mean, it's just, it's fascinating. You know, it's, it's, it was an interesting thing to do, uh, and it was completely unexpected, but yet felt perfectly in character for Spooner. I'm saying all this to say, Millie Wood, what'd you think of this moment? What did you think of Zari and Spooner paired together in this episode? And, uh, yeah, just comments on that. What did you think of them together as well as, uh, this new bit of information that we got about Spooner. I really like the pairing. It, it took me a second also to realize, like, they haven't been together. We always talk about how when the new ones, inter- like, a new Legends introduced, we kind of see this rotating thing. But with the way the format's been, Spooner hasn't really gotten to be paired. She's mostly been with either Sarah or, or mainly Astra. So it is uh, nice to see Orzari and for them to acknowledge, like, and it's the whole idea, and I think it could probably be going to a bigger, you know, maybe metaphor or nudge message trying to go like people big differences can't come together and find commonality kind of message there but I do like how they did that because they are very polar opposites um and so I like of course that they they find the commonality and just complaining and talking about people I think at the end of the day we can all bond over that somehow um and try like the turn that uh Spooner's storyline went I it is in line with Spooner because we have, you know, I know that online there's been questions about like her and Astra um, and then just her, like, are they trying to pair her off in general? Um, I'm on the fence in terms of, I like how they did. I like how they didn't make it a big thing and it is very just kind of part of Legends. But at the same time, it did feel a little teachy, um, just the way that I think it was presented uh that the way that Zari had presented it, and I, I don't know if that's uh, just kind of at the end of the day when you're doing a concept like this, it it has to sound teachy, um, but it felt a little bit out of left right field, left field in some ways, but at the same time, I really do appreciate, like, what they're doing here as well. Okay. Professor, I want to bring you into the conversation. What did you think of... Uh... The Spooner development, as well as him, as him, as well as uh, Spooner and Zari together. 
I think the the pairing of, of Spooner and Zari uh, was was really clever uh, because, you know, they hadn't been put together before. And, you know, it, it gave them, you know, that that friction, that uh, that tension at the beginning that, you know, then resolved itself into that sense of comfort where, you know, Spooner could open up in that way. Uh, I agree with Millie that it did feel a little teachy, but I think it's kind of necessary to be teachy because, you know, asexuals, you know, People understand what it is to be gay or trans or even, well, queer is a little, you know, uh, you know, uh, bisexual is fairly easy to understand. Intersex is fairly easy to understand. Two spirits up here in Canada is fairly easy to understand. But asexual is something that I think does have to be explained as someone who doesn't really have the sexual longings but still has the romantic feelings. And I think it's, it's kind of necessary because, you know, we really don't have a lot of, uh, of representation of that. The only example I could think of it was a character in the, uh, uh, the animated series BoJack Horseman uh, who was asexual. Um, but, you know, it's, it's kind of difficult to explain when you think about it because, you know, if you explain, you know, you're, you know, if you are gay, then you are attracted to someone of the same gender as you. If you are trans, you are someone who, you know, feels you are in the wrong gender for you. Uh, if I'm using gender or sex incorrectly, I apologize to uh, to anyone affected by that. Um, you know, bisexual, you are affected, you are attracted to anyone if you are, you know, polyandrous or, you know, most of them are fairly easy to understand. But I think there is, if you're going to make the argument that, that a Spooner should be asexual, I do think you need a little sort of paragraph explanation of what that is. And having Zari be the one to, to you know, you know Zari explain it to her was an interesting choice because it was something that Spooner hadn't really realized about herself. You know, she had assumed that it was something that, you know, the, uh, that the, uh, the mushrooms had somehow changed her or broken her in some way. And for Zari to be the one to say, no, 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 that, that's fine. And remember, Zari's from the future. She's from a hopefully more progressive future uh, than than Spooner grew up in. For her to say, no, no, here's exactly what that is. You're an ace. And to give it you know, the really cool sounding term was a nice touch as well. Not only is there nothing wrong with that, it's 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 great. It's awesome. It's who you are. And for, uh, you know, Spooner to sort of have that recognition of, oh, I'd always thought that I was, you know, somehow broken, somehow wrong, somehow uh, you know, uh, somehow, you know, not right, uh, to have someone say, no, no, you're, you're fine the way you are. And to have it come from Zari, the person that she didn't get along with, the person who seems the least like her of anyone on the crew, uh, was, I thought a really nice touch, but I agree. It was a little teachy, but I think it kind of had to be because this is not a, a common term. I have no numbers on, you know, what percentage of people, you know, classify themselves as, as asexual, but I, I have to assume it's, it's a very small number, you know, like less than 1%. Yeah. Yes. I don't have the numbers either. Um, but yeah, I mean, I will agree with both of you. Yeah. I, it w was a little teachy, but it, I think it was necessary. Um, you know, as the professor said, I mean, people understand for the most part, the LGBTQI, but that A at the end, uh, is, uh, something that really isn't explored in the media period. Um, I don't think I've, uh, seen an asexual character in anything that I've watched in the past. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad that uh, Spooner was able to live her truth in this episode. And even though it was a little teachy, it was still just a normal moment. You know, it wasn't like a big coming out moment, even though, I mean, technically Zara's like, oh, did you just come out to me? And she's like, well, I guess I just did. And who'd have thunk? It'd be you. And that is true. So, moving right along, uh, let's talk about, uh, you know, the other side of the sexuality spectrum. And, and that's with uh, Gwyn. He's trying to figure out how to save Alan with uh, our girl Ava. And Ava's down for the cause. She wants him to have, you know, his happy ending with Alan, you know, this romance to be reunited. But then when Gary shows up, they start going into paradoxes and all that kind of stuff. Well, if Alan is saved, then you don't invent time travel, then all these time travelers at the fixed point don't exist, and then the legends don't exist, and this, that, or the other... But uh, Gwyn reassures her, no, all of that will happen. I will still be here. I just want Alan to be 
alive out there. And this is when we get a, a really deep discussion about his religious beliefs. You know, he is a man of a particular time, and he's a man of faith from a particular time. And he believes that this is God punishing him. You know, he cannot live happy with the love of his life. He is meant to live suffering for the sin of loving another man. And uh, no matter how much Ava tries to be an incredibly progressive person in the year 2022, it's not really clicking with Gwen. Professor, what did you think of Gwen and Ava together? And, uh, yeah, where do you think this goes? Like, clearly we're going to have to save Alan, but what do you think is going to happen? Very interesting decision to to pair this discussion with Ava, with uh, Spooner's outing, uh, as you said, with Zari, because it's really showing the the difference. And unlike you know sort of the conventional sense of you know uh, you know a a CW type show where you know you got the gay teenager who has to come out to their parents who might accept them or might not witness you know uh, over on Batwoman, you know the different approaches of, of parents to uh, to children who are gay. Uh, in this case, you're dealing with someone who who can't accept that about himself, which I think is really you know much more interesting. Uh, you know it's it's you know because it's internal, he's he's beating himself up, and we're finding out you know the the uh, the thing has been motivating. Him since we've met this character, which you know we've kind of known for a while now, but to have it so explicit and so out there, uh, I thought was interesting. It was, you know, it's it's a little curious. I mean, it's it's a little almost problematic, and I, I don't want to say something that that comes across the wrong way. But for Ava, as a white woman, to basically say to Gwen, "No, no, you should be with the the partner, and you should, you know, you know, uh, you know." If it's Gwen's decision that, you know, I don't need to be with him as long as I know he's okay, it's I don't know if it's Ava's place to say, no, no, you have to be together with him. Um, so, so that, you know, uh, looking at it, I, I wonder whether it's a little too much, you know, uh, Ava sort of, you know, forcing her goal, her, her, her viewpoint. Uh, on Gwyn, you know, Gwyn knows how he feels, but, you know, feels that that's wrong. And, and I, I, you know, and, and again, you know, I agree with Ava that, you know, as Lynn Miranda, Lynn Manuel Miranda said, love is love is love is love is love. Um, but it, it just, yeah, that felt a little weirder to me, you know, to take someone from, you know, the 1917 uh, era who, you know, is not comfortable at all with his sexuality, uh, you know, who is, you know, put in with this, you know, this, uh, this, this uh, weird bunch of, uh, of legends and who seems to have no problem with, uh, with Ava and, uh, and Sarah. Um, you know, but, you know, to expect him to suddenly apply that to his life when he is, you know, a deeply religious person. I think that's something that, you know, is not often brought out. I think they did bring it out over on Batwoman when Sophie, you know, came out to her mother and was basically, you know, frozen out of the family. I think there was a religious element to that, which is very real to uh, to the experience of many, uh, you know, gay people who are coming out. You know, their parents simply can't accept that. But I think it was it was an interesting choice to to balance the the sort of you know radical acceptance of Zari uh, with Spooner, with the fact that you know the person who couldn't accept it on the other side of things was the person who was dealing with it, not the person he was talking to. It was you know a very interesting way to present that. And, uh, you know, you know, having someone, you know, Ava, who is, you know, in a, a, a you know, a, a long term, stable, loving relationship with another woman to basically say to him, no, you should have the, the same thing, uh, you know, I think was was valuable. But it's not surprising because, of course, that's what Ava's going to say. That's, you know, obviously what Ava's going to say. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. It, it didn't work quite as well for me as it might have. There was I didn't find there was any real surprise there. And I did feel a little bit that. Ava was kind of taking away Gwyn's agency in that moment, if that makes any sense. See, that's interesting. I didn't really mind Ava, and, and I get where you're coming from, Professor, but I didn't see it or interpret it in that way. I sort of saw her as, you know, a modern person, you know, someone from the year 2022, you know, knowing all that's happened, all of the progress, you know, and that sort of thing trying her best to express to him that, you know, I know you're from a different time, but we're technically out of time. And, and from where I'm from, you know, things are different and, and you don't have to be ashamed of yourself, this, that, or the other. 
Um, I, I think she was trying to encourage him in a way, um, and, and maybe it just it, it didn't work in 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 that sort of way. But um, I didn't really see her as you know, you know, I'm the white woman, so. I'm right, <laughs> that sort of thing. I didn't see her. Yeah, and, and part of it, it it's of not thing. so much. Yeah, exactly. And 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 part of it, you know, as I say, it might be a little sort of, you know, the reaction that we all have to to a Karen these days. But it's also guilty of, you know, as a historian, you know, we have this 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 sin that we you know criticize other historians of of what's called presentism, which is judging the past by the present. Mm-hmm. And Ava's really doing that in this moment. And and again, we agree with her. I agree with her. Everything. But she is expecting someone from 100 years ago to view the world through the same lens that she views the world. And that's a big ask. The past is a different country. They do things differently there. That is very true. Uh, yeah. I mean, if you just watch a movie from the 50s or something, you kind of can't go in with your 20, 22 sensibilities and, and that sort of thing. Uh, Millie, I want to bring you into the conversation. The professor brought up a lot of interesting points. What did you think of the storyline between Gwen and Ava this episode? Um, I don't know anymore. <laughs> professor brought some really good points, and I'm like rethinking everything. Um, I do like how it was paralleled with uh, Spooners kind of coming out. I think that was just really well done. Again, this this subtle, just um, having you know LGBTQIA topics being ingrained in the storyline. Just naturally, I I do like how we have two of those storylines going on in this jam packed episode. Um, I more so agree with you, Jeff, in the terms of like it didn't really seem maybe like her or pushing it on him. Um, and as a person, it is presentism, but I do think at the same time like. It more is just kind of the idea of people that are, are deeply religious because there's still people that, that think the way that Gwen does. And so I thought it, from that lens, it was more just this idea, again, of two different methods um, and ideologies coming together. And, and I didn't see it as pushing on more just like this is a possibility. And, and I don't think it's like, OK, we're, we're going to give you the opportunity to, you know, be reunited with him if you want. But you have to circle that like square yourself and and really make the decision at the end of the day like when the time comes okay yeah that's pretty much what i saw too like yeah we love ava so i don't think she was trying to be all extra but i am interested in seeing where this storyline goes because i am loving matt ryan on the show and as this character, and uh, if this character has to leave, I hope they find a clever way to keep Matt Ryan around. And can I also say, any time, any time that we have a line from Matt Ryan where Gwen is talking about Constantine, oh, he sounds like a strange chap. Like, I just love all those lines. Because it's just so stupid. Because it was him. But it's just fantastic because, you know, it's just, it, it's a nice little callback. Uh, okay, let's see. Where should we go next? Are you in the mood for a wild supposition? Yes, let's do it. Okay, so we haven't gotten to this point in the episode yet, but when uh, Sarah is talking to uh, Thawne, uh, and he says, look, if you kill me, you have to replace me. And so, I mean, yeah, and, and obviously you're not going to drop a line like that in unless there's going to be some consequences, but could Sarah be replaced by someone who might be happy to live one day over and over as long as they were with the person they loved? And you have someone who has to be removed from the time stream because technically he's out of the time stream. So what better way to get him out of the time stream than to lock him in, uh, uh, in 1914? I'm convinced it'll be someone. Someone on the team is going to step up and, and someone, yeah, Gwyn will, will get the device that will allow him to do the same thing that Thawne was doing. Um, I, at first, I was thinking it might be Nate because I thought they might be setting up, uh, you know, you know, because as long as Nate can, you know, go back to the pocket dimension every night and spend time with Zari, he'd be happy to spend his day there. Um, honestly, I think Sarah would probably be okay as long as she and, and Ava could be together. But now I'm thinking that, uh, that, you know, there's really no reason to keep Gwyn around after this season. Um, and and giving him, you know, something to live for, you know, something, you know, a, a, a holy purpose, if you will, but also getting him conveniently out of the time stream. So he can't neither he, you know, nor uh, his uh, his friend can mess up the time stream by existing in a time when they're not supposed to, I think, puts things into a nice little knot. I actually dig that and I'm cool with it. 
I will miss Matt Ryan. Do we think he would come back as a different character, or would that be just way too much? It's possible. But I think not. I think, um, and, and who knows? I mean, like we're. I, I mean, I think we we uh, we hope certainly that uh, Legends has another season coming. But you know, you are starting to get into uh, you know you know Sarah's been around since the beginning, and, and you know Katie Lott seems perfectly happy and having the time of her life uh, on the show. Uh, you know, um, Nate seems to be still having fun. But you never know. I mean, remember, you know, it was what it was just last season, wasn't it? That they. Uh, they uh, they removed Brad and Routh and uh, and uh, Dominic Monahan uh, under you know less than friendly conditions. So you know these decisions are sometimes made. Well, Dominic Purcell uh, Monahan was Purcell Purcell lost. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, let's have some fun. Let's talk about uh, the legends getting hazed at the bar, as well as the legends trying to figure out how to master the fixed point how to stop world war one from happening all set to i don't know what language that was but i do recognize the song it was you spin me right round baby right round like a record baby <laughs> right round 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 it was fantastic um millie let's start off with you what'd you think of that entire sequence as well as you know the legends being the old timers getting hazed by the young time travelers oh that was just a fun time all around the the teasing by the the young timers uh, and now that they knew them and then they just like were relentlessly teasing them was so funny um and then just the whole montage of the song was really well done just from it's the song choice, but also the the camera angles that were taken as well just made it super like fun, quirky, and very legendy. Yes, one hundred percent. Curse those Gen Z fucking time travelers. Uh, and there was the alien one, which we never understood anything that was being said. But Gary, being alien, was hella offended by something that he said, and that was fantastic. Professor, any any additional things that you sort of, uh, you know, cut, that caught your eye during those sequences? Well, I mean, uh, really only the, uh, the idea that the one constant in the universe is that young people are the worst. Well, that is true. And you usually are surrounded by a lot of them. But you are immortal yourself. Although they did, you know, it was nice because the whole point of sending them up as being, you know, total, you know, dude, bro, jerks and, and stuff like that really did set up the, you know, the, the resolution at the end where uh, they gave up their tickets because I thought it was just going to be that, well, we've got two new members on the team, so they've got two new tickets. But to have them, you know, sort of step forward and say, you know what? No, we, we've changed our minds. You guys are, are pretty cool. That was, that was, you know, a, a nice moment for them. I will co-sign that. Let's talk about the surprise. Uh, with the professor talked about it a little bit, but let's go in depth into it right now. So the theme, or the sort of like the underlying theme of the the fixed point towards the first half of the episode was the fact that time was stopping, you know, every one of these time travelers from, you know, thwarting. Uh, you know, the, what ends up happening, that, that the assassination that leads to World War I. But in reality, it was not time, per se, as a concept. It was a person, a, a man in a top hat. It was Eobard Fawn, and, and not the, the, the uh, Tom Cavanaugh one, the OG Eobard Thawne, although technically he's the same Tom Cavanaugh one, but it's just the one without Wells's face. We get a whole bunch of exposition at the end of the episode about why Thawne exists. He was revived by the Time Wraiths. He is protecting this one point in time because of time travelers and this, that, or the other. And, uh, you know, we, we get a greater understanding as to why he's there, how he isn't dead, and all that kind of stuff. He does end up making a deal with Sarah that the professor brought up. But um, what did we think of Thawne being here? The fact that it's OG Thawne and not Tom Cavanaugh Thawne. Uh, yeah, uh, Professor, I'll start off with you. The Eobard Thawne 
of it all. Was this surprising? Did it end up making sense? Once it end up happening? And all of that exposition that we got about why he exists, what did you think of that? Well, timey-wimey, hand-waving, and it's more the decision that we want this actor or we want this character rather than, you know, it doesn't make a logical, rational bit of sense. Um, but having said that, I liked it. Um, you know, I think Thawne was a great choice. Uh, I think the actor is very good. And, you know, you know, if you've been listening to these podcasts for any length of time, you know that I'm an absolute sucker for a villain redemption arc. And the fact that Thawne is now doing this and he's not doing it, you know, sort of, you know, mutter, grumble, you know, doing this. He thinks it's it's his duty. You know, it's it's not that he is necessarily, you know, making things right with the universe. Uh, but he does seem to take it seriously and, and realize that he has an important thing to do, an important uh, you know, mission to accomplish. So, you know, I, I, as I said, I'm an absolute sucker for the villain redemption arcs. And I like the fact that Thawne has found something to do that actually has some meaning and worth. Somewhat ironically, you know, you know, they could have just given him super speed and it would have had the same effect because, you know, when you're traveling as fast as he does or as fast as the Flash does, time is essentially stopped for everyone around you. Uh, but, hey, you know, this is a timey-wimey show, so let's stick to the timey-wimey explanations. Ain't that the damn truth. Millie Wood, your take on a, dare I say, redeemed thawn. I was very surprised. And... I, too, sometimes am all for a, a sucker for redemption, and I like how they, you know, that rewrote it, rewrote history, and gave him a purpose. Um, and kind of makes, it is kind of funny, you know, the guy that loves to play the time is now in charge of protecting it. So I like that way. Um, I also just love the reaction that Sarah had um, when she discovered it was Thawne. She was, like, already, you know, very focused on the mission, and then she saw him, and she's like, what the heck? Uh, so that was really, like, good pointing act or like great part on Katie Watts's part but um I'm I'm curious and another professor brought it up like what will happen like who's going to take a spot I think that like poses some interesting questions to see how they um play that on the next couple of episodes will be fun I agree I wonder how many episodes we're going to get Thawne yeah, that's going to be interesting uh but uh yes absolutely refreshing to see him a redeemed villain is awesome. Um, clearly, none of this is going to affect the fawn that we know over on The Flash. But uh, we could just pretend that this is after he does all whatever he's going to end up doing uh, from now until The Flash ends. And, and uh, you know, this is him now wearing his own face, you know, uh, ready to uh, redeem himself for all the pain and suffering, I guess. I don't know. All right, um, I'm trying to think. I feel like we covered everything. Uh, yeah, was there anything that I missed, though? A tiny little moment that anyone wants to chat about before we head into the MVP. Just sorry, oh, just yes. a little, uh, a little quick thing. It's something that's happened, you know, before uh, in the series with Nate sort of stepping up to be the, you know, the, you know, the support for for Sarah when Sarah is doubting herself. You know, Nate is there Mm -hmm. and that's kind Mm -hmm. of a new role for him uh, in this season. And I'm liking it. You know, he's he's very much the uh, the person who's there to support her. There's never any sense that, you know, oh, I want to be the uh, the captain or, or I want to take over anything like that. No, it's he's part of the team. He realizes that she's his leader and he is there to support her in whatever way is necessary, including bringing the rest of the legends around uh, to to uh, to big her up when she's feeling down. So I thought that was a, a very nice touch for Nate. I will co-sign that. It was very grown of him to do, rallying the troops, you know, because Sarah was a bit down in the dumps. I enjoyed that as well. And a quick little shout-out to the barkeep. He played uh, the Sorcerer's Apprentice over on Once Upon a Time. And so now on, on here on Legends, he's playing another sort of, like, mystical type of creation, which uh, I thought was uh, kind of neat. So, you know, that, yes. that is one of my few negatives about this episode. I was hoping there'd be more to his backstory, that he would be Rip Hunter or Santa oh, Claus or an Santa alien Claus. or something like that. But we never got the backstory, the explanation as to who exactly this guy was. But I was kind of hoping there'd be some sort of payoff at the end. Well, I mean, Santa Claus is Santa Claus, you know, I mean, he's busy. Well, technically, he's only he's got busy. 364 yeah. days of the year when he could be doing this. And really, it's only one day of the year, you know, on April 14th, 1914, so the rest of the time he's free. 
But would Mrs. Claus allow him to run a bar for ne'er-do-wells? I'm just saying. Things to ponder about late at night. Now it's time for the MVP, the most valuable player. State which character impressed you throughout the episode and why. Once a character has been chosen, they cannot be selected again. So, choose wisely. Professor, who's your MVP and why? Boy, tough call. Um, because once again, with Legends, they did such a great job of spreading the story out among the characters that everyone had their moment in the sun and no one you know, really stole too much focus or anything like that. Having said that, as I was just saying, I really liked how Nate played, you know, uh, this episode. You know, he was there. He was you know, there in support, not because he has metal skin, but because of his knowledge. And, you know, honestly, he started taking that counselor's role, uh, you know, building them up and they're down, you know, uh, you know, helping everyone feel better with themselves. And I think that was, you know, really, you know, a, a nice development in Nate's character, especially when you contrast him with the uh, the robot version of Nate that we've seen, which is, you know, the uh, the sort of, you know, yeah, you know, steel, uh, you know, dude, bro type. So I, I really like that uh, that uh, that relationship that he has uh, with Sarah and uh, and the rest of the team. So he's he's you know turning into a very very good second in command, and I like that. Very good choice, Millie Wood. What about you? I will have to go with or with you, Professor Gwen Davies, on whatever his official title is. Uh, I just really like the job uh, that uh, the conversation with Ava, I think that was just well acted. Um, you could really see uh, the conflict in him. I think what Ava was saying to him, like, resonated. You could see that through the physical acting. So just a huge shout-out to Matt Ryan on that. Um, even though they didn't have a lot of screen time, I think it was, like, very meaningful screen time that him and Ava did get. Another fantastic choice. And I'm going with an off-the-wall choice, which has been done in the past on many of our podcasts. I'm giving it to Maisie Richardson Sellers as the director. I thought she did a hell of a fucking job. Because first of all, this is Legends. So it's wild, it's wacky, it's insane. And because of all of that, there there are different peaks of emotions. Like, we go from, like, slapstick comedy with Sarah getting, uh, you know, knocked out by the ladder to really deep, rich, emotional moments like Gwen and Ava together, as well as Spooner and Zari finally connecting and then having her own coming out moment. I thought all of the different peaks and valleys of emotions and and, and story notes were handled really well, and uh, a lot of that has to do with the director, which clearly you know, is a director that they trust, you know, because it's, it's, she is a former co-star of theirs, but wow, I just got to get props to Maisie for doing a fantastic job as a director this go around. Now it's time to rate the episode. How would you rate this episode on a scale of one to 10 wave riders? The point system is allowed. If you found the episode exceptional, deserving of more than a 10, you may grant it the coveted golden wave rider. Millie Wood, let's start off with you. This was a really fun episode, and I feel like after last week, it was a lot to live up to. Um, it definitely held its own, and as you mentioned, beautifully directed, great balance between like meaningful storylines and just fun, timey-wimey stuff, so I'll have to give it 9.5 Wave Riders. Starting off with a 9.5 from uh, Millie Wood. Professor, what about you? It's a Golden Wave Rider. Just a, a, a damn delight. You know, and, and again... One could argue the F word. It was a bit of a filler. It was a bit of a placeholder. But, uh, you know, the fact is that it didn't matter because we got all this delightful character development. We got to find out things that we never knew about some of the characters. We got to set things in place going forward. And really, what? It's only what two or three episodes left. So, you know, we kind of have to have all of our ducks in a row at this point. I have to assume it's going to be a very fast rush to the end. But, wow, just, I mean, just a, a total delight. You know, hilarious but smart and funny and, uh, and, and great character moments that, that pay off things that we've invested in these characters for some time. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to give it another Golden Wave Rider. Nearly fell out my damn chair when I heard the F word. Such language. Good grief. All right. Let me be clear. When I used the F word, I was saying it's the sort of thing that someone like Millie might say about an episode like this. Oh, okay. Well, then that makes much more sense. Yes. Although she did give a Golden last week. So, you know. Uh, we can't besmirch the Millie Wood name as much as before. Right, Millie? 
Yeah, although I, I was thinking the F word in my head. Oh. Well, my opinion of you would have changed if you had said it aloud. I'm glad you kept that type of filthy language to yourself. All right, listeners, I feel like y'all know where I'm going based off of the heaping praise that I gave Maisie Richardson Sellers. But yes, it's a golden for me as well. For all the reasons that I gave, uh, you know, as to why Maisie Richardson Sellers was my MVP, I'll just add in uh, this little line about the cast. I mean, this cast is fucking phenomenal. I mean, they are just spectacular. They are brilliant, so much fun, and they can handle anything that's thrown at them. So, fantastic episode, Golden Wave Rider from me. On that note, join us next time for a brand new installment of Time Masters. Here's our announcer, Gidget, to remind you on how you can interact with us. Thank you, Captain. Follow Perpetulo Radio on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Perpetulo Radio. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or concerns? Email us via contact at perpetuoradio.com. Are you interested in joining the Perpetuolo Radio team as an on-air personality or blog contributor? Email talent at perpetuoradio.com. Binge listen to your favorite Perpetuolo Radio programs by visiting perpetuoradio.com slash archives. You can also download tonight's broadcast and the rest of the series through Apple Podcasts and Google Play. Just search for Time Masters and subscribe. Back to you, my captain. Thanks, Gidget. My co-host, please wish the listeners a good night, starting off with the professor. Good night, everyone. And Millie Wood. Good night, listeners. If you want to follow along, I'm on Twitter as at the Asian Nerd. Thanks for tuning in. Download new episodes of Time Masters every Friday via Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and the Papichula Radio archives. Good night. Mm-hmm.